Hey, and welcome to the Deconstructor Fun Podcast. Your host today, Mishka Katkov, and your guest today is no one else than Christian Calderon, CEO of Game Jam. And if you don't know Game Jam, it's a hyper-casual publisher out of Vietnam, and um, they've been on a tear. I mean, insane growth. The year over year, I thought have grown by 2,499%. And even if we're comparing this year, uh, the growth has been phenomenal. Triple digits, 250% growth. So really a superstar publisher in the hyper-casual space. And what we're going to talk about is a lot of the basics. You know, how do you make a good hyper-casual games? What are the typical pitfalls? Uh, you know, what kind of team do you need? How long it takes? But then we're going to also talk about what's going on in the hyper-casual market. We're going to talk about how we thought at Deconstructor Fund that it's 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 kind of a seeing its peak, but it's still growing. And we're going to talk about what are, what are the reasons what we got wrong in our initial analysis last year, uh, what were the effects of COVID, and how Christian sees the future of hyper-casual market and hyper-casual games. We are also going to talk about IDFA, of course. We're going to talk about IDFV, naturally. We're going to talk about M&A, yes. And we're going to talk about hybrid casual games. Yes, hybrid casual. We're going to talk about a lot of good stuff in this podcast. So I hope you enjoy this. Um, if you do enjoy, do like, do share, do send some comments. You know, we like hearing from you. And, um, and yes, one more thing. If you're interested in joining the Deconstructor Fun Slack group, go to deconstructorfun.com slack and apply. Anyways, enjoy the podcast. Catch you later. And by the way, so that you know, this podcast is brought to you by none other than Iron Source. They know you're here for this good content, so they're not going to waste your time with a long pitch. Here's the three things you need to remember or know about Iron Source. Number one, they are developing the most robust data-driven growth engine for mobile games. Number two, their secret sauce is closing the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth. And number three, they have an awesome Medium blog and a podcast called Level Up. You can find it on Medium by searching Iron Source Level Up and you can find the podcast wherever you're getting your podcasts from by searching the Level Up. Folks. Most mobile advertisers are increasingly aware of the dangers of app install fraud. In fact, global financial exposure to app install fraud in the first half of 2020 was 1.6 billion. And even though the mobile ad industry has grown exponentially to defend itself properly against ad fraud, the potential amount of damage is still extremely high and fraudsters will always want a piece of that pie. Now, fraud methods are constantly evolving and adapting to solutions in the market. Still, staying protected and applying sophisticated anti-fraud solutions are very much a necessity for all marketers. As you all know, our good partner AppSlyer offers super robust fraud protection, making sure you're not paying for that bogus traffic. AppSlyer is also perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile, a true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive that marketing success. And listen, it's not only us at here at Deconstructor of Fun raving about AppSlyer. Playrix, Tencent, Playtica, Square Enix, Huge Games, all of these companies and many more are using AppsFlyer to boost their business. So go to appsflyer.com and get yourself attribution and fraud protection you can trust. Welcome, everybody, to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. Your host today is Mishki Katkov, and I got an amazing guest. As always, we have an amazing guest, but this one is a brother from another mother, Christian Calderon. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, everyone. Hey, Mishka. Happy, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. You have a massive microphone. Like, like I have this small one, and Christian went out and bought like three times bigger microphone than I do. So I'm not going <laughs> to post the video because it will be impossible to... To listen to the podcast because you see this beautiful man over here with this giant microphone it's like really hard to concentrate uh but let's try it. so christian uh tell a bit about yourself you started with ibanking then this kick size dots catch up game jam um tell me a little bit about your career yeah yes certainly so yeah i started my career in investment banking um mostly covered internet and digital media um i've always loved games and so it kind of gravitated towards 
gaming deals, gaming transactions. Um, and, you know, getting out of banking, I joined Kixi as their head of revenue. Um, and that's where I really learned how to do LTV modeling, uh, working with, uh, we worked closely in the same floor with the user acquisition team. I didn't, I didn't do any user acquisition at the time, but we worked with them and it allowed me to learn more about how user acquisition works. And then um, after I joined Dots, I was the sixth person on the team to, to, to join the company. And we launched the, the game Two Dots uh, while I was there, which was a huge success, number one game in 100 countries. Um, and then after that, I moved on to, to Ketchup. I joined Ketchup as a chief revenue officer. Um, and that was a massive success. Um, and uh, yeah, now, now I'm at Game Jam. Yeah, and, and Game Jam uh, is, is your company. Yeah, Game Gems, uh, our my company co-founded it with uh, my co-founder Hua, and we um, started the company about two years ago. Uh, and we have you know over 100 million downloads now this year, and uh, you know starting to grow, and it's it's been it's been a fantastic journey so far. Yeah, it's, so and and for those who don't know, Game Jam is located. So you're from Texas, right? Right. Yeah, I was born in Houston. Yeah, and and you're now living in. So San Francisco, New York, but now you're in Vietnam in Ho Chi Minh City. Right. Yeah, that's right. So it's it's a bit of a jump from from New York, but uh, other side of the world. And um, yeah, just living here in Vietnam. It's you know it's been great. Uh, the culture here is awesome. The food is great, and also the you know we we haven't been impacted as much by COVID nineteen as as other countries, and so that's been. Um, really good for the for, for for us as a team you know we've been able to work closely together and we haven't been spread apart uh so that's that's been really nice uh definitely a privilege you know and there's there's here. a lot of also a lot of game game making talent in vietnam if i'm correct like there's a big game loft office and there's a lot of outsourcing studios is that yeah right yeah there's yeah there's a lot a lot of uh development out here uh, a lot of out Traditionally, it's been, you know, it was a, an outsourcing country. Um, and then when, I think when Dong Nguyen had launched Flappy Birds, he, he really, I think, inspired a lot of the developers here to go out and make their own games and uh, break free from, from the, the, a lot of the outsourcing companies. And, and I think since that point, you've seen a lot of new companies emerge um, coming out of Vietnam that are, that are self-publishing. Uh, and it's great. It's it's a rapidly growing and evolving country in terms of the game development m market. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's that's true. So, so let's talk about hyper casual. This is my favorite stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> as you know, we we've been bombing on deconstructive fun of various type of stuff regarding hyper casual, always predicting it wrong. And um, I wanted to start off with like the grassroots level. Like, how do you make a hyper casual? So you, you were with you were with the iBank, and you went from like hardcore to 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 like more and more and more casual, from iBanking to to like these midcore kickside games to like casual puzzle games to like hyper casual to like super super hyper casual game jamming. And um, like, I wanted to ask like, like how long does it take to make a game? Like what kind of team do you need to make a hyper casual game or, and, and what, is, what is the setup when you're kicking it off? And like, what are the typical pitfalls? How do you do creative optimization on a high level? And most importantly, like why game jam is so good at it? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting question because uh, the, it's the, the market, the hyper casual market is, it's just it's just a weird kind of classification, right? Because the the types of games are are I guess more hyper casual, and even though now you see it's kind of bouncing back to becoming kind of more core, uh, we're still classifying them as like you know hyper casual games, I guess. But to 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 make one, and how how long does it take? It takes like maybe it could take a day to make, or a few hours to make to make a really good core fun mechanic or a good prototype. And then from there, turning it into a game, you know, that could take weeks uh, to months, depending on the type of game or like, you know, how polished you want to make the mechanic. But, but generally these, these games are pretty quick to make. You can make them in weeks. Um, we used to have, I remember, I, I remember when I, I, I first learned about hyper casual games. So I was talking to, I was at dots 
and I was talking to Antoine and Michelle, the, the co-founders of Ketchup. These are like the godfathers of hypercasual, right? And I was just amazed when I was like, I, was, I asked him this question, you know, how long, you know, he asked, well, he asked us, how long does it take to make a, you guys to make a game? And we're like, you know, we're working on a game, you know, six months to a year. And he's like, oh, whoa, no, no, no. He's like, he's like, if you want to make, you know, games like us, you, you have to make the game in a week. And I'm sitting there like, what's like, this is, you know, 2015, 2000. I'm, I'm just like, this is, this is insane. You're making games in a week. And at the time it was just so profound to like, to, to think that you could make, you know, a, a high polished, good quality game in a week. Um, but still that's that, you know, that's kind of like the rule of thumb, I, I think for a lot of hyper casual studios. Um, and so that, that dictates the team, right. That you need to make, to make a game that fast, you usually need a small team. Uh, it's like sometimes these games don't have artists. Uh, the game teams don't have artists. It's just like a developer putting everything together, uh, or a single solo developer working on the project. Um, but usually, really, really small teams. Um, and uh, and yeah, and that's kind of how those games get get created. The I think the pitfalls of 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 making these games are that um they are low revenue per user games so when you know they're not going to they're not high uh, top grossing games in terms of you know on the unit economic scale uh for for, for on the rev, for, for revenue um but but they are massively adopted and and widespread so these games are getting you know hundreds of millions of downloads uh, but not very high revenue per user. So I think that's the probably the greatest pitfall. Um, that I think also allowed these games to explode because it, in you know in the beginning when we were making these games, the revenue per user for on these games weren't that high. They've they've been going up as CPMs increase and ads are down increases, um, and this has kind of allowed for new types of genres within hyper casual so like you have hyper casual puzzle hyper casual brain games hyper casual music games hyper casual everything has a hyper casual flavor to it now and a lot of this has been possible because of the ltv expansion and the monetization expansion um, allowing advertisers to target different audiences for these games um, and so i think that's something that's been changing and continuing to evolve um, and for, for us at, at Game Jam, you know, we've, I, I personally have been, you know, exposed to these games almost, almost half of my career now. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons why we're, we're good at it. It's just, we're, we, we've been doing it for a long time. Um, and then on the, the, the other side is we're constantly looking for those new opportunities uh, to make different types of subcategory, you know, hyper casual games. Uh, we've been, making like a lot of mini games, for example, we, we were really early, uh, early publishers of, of, of the mini games. And, and now you're seeing a lot more publishers taking on mini games, um, which was not done, uh, you know, so much in the past. Um, we've been focusing on other categories like music games and finding ways where we can take the, the approach of making a hyper casual game and applying it um, in, into higher ARPDAO, higher LTV products. Uh, and, and, you know, just, we've been having success. And so we're just continuing to do what we're good at. So, uh, six, six, uh, Takashi six, six, nine run, you got the marshmallow one. So there, there's some, there's some big brands that you guys have worked with. Yeah, it's, we've been lucky to get, you know, to work with these really awesome brands. Um, and we have more coming too, which is, which is awesome. We, you know, I've always thought that there's been such a huge opportunity for brands and, and IP to work with these types of games, but it just, it was just never done in, in a way that's been repeatable where you see, where you see a publisher constantly putting out new top games with brands and, uh, and, and combining them with hyper casual games. Mm -hmm. It just hasn't, hasn't been done before. And so we wanted to be the first to, to go and do that and, and to say that, yeah, you can have big brands and, and really good hyper casual games and, and for them to be successful and make money for the brand and make money for the developer and uh, at the same time be fun and, um, and, 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 and everybody's mind to be a success. 
uh, a success story. And so we wanted to continue to, to do that. And it's been awesome. It's uh, for, for a lot of different reasons, it, it, it captures a new audience. Um, I'll also, I think in an iOS 14 world, it's really interesting because of, of targeting. Uh, so now we have brands and we can utilize those and help uh, to, to, to reach these new audiences. Um, and also it brings down, you know, acquisition costs when you're working with a great brand and, and you're marketing a game. Um, our acquisition costs are going to be, uh, you know, less than, than a similar game that, that doesn't have the, that brand. Yeah, I, I think, I think what, like that's a, that's a really good approach because hyper casual games are basically for everybody. And you, you kind of bring in these type of brands that are quite popular with the younger audience. And I was comparing it because I remember your boys at Ketchup, they made Prince of Persia hyper casual game. I'm like, wow, this is, this doesn't sound like a good fit. It's like a super hardcore niche piece game, a PC game for a hyper casual con. Like most of the, most of the people who play hyper casual never even heard about Prince of Persia. So, uh, so <laughs> I think you did a little bit of a, a better job of understanding the, uh, the audience. And I, I don't know, maybe the, maybe the Prince of Persia game was super successful. Uh, but I was a little bit weirded by that. And I just wanted the, uh, the audience as well as to understand like how big Game Jam is and how much you've grown. So I send you this, this data I pulled in from Sensor Tower. So year over year, if I compare the, uh, the Q3 of 2020 to 2019, uh, you've grown, uh, your downloads have grown by 2,499%. Uh, and even if we compare wow. this, this quarter, Q3 to Q1, Game Jam has grown by 256. So you guys are in some, wow. some massive growth. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been, it's been great. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's awesome. And, you know, it's not, it's also not easy too, because we have, uh, as you know, it's getting way more competitive and, and some of our competitors are multi-billion dollar companies that, you know, ad networks that have decided to come in yeah, and on, on PEDs, with us. on PEDs, like yeah. competitors are, <laughs> are juicing. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and so it's, it's not easy for like a 12 person team to go and, and, you know, tr to have this type of growth in this type of market. So we're super happy with it. And we hope, you know, that we can continue to see this growth with our strategy um, that, that we've taken and, and the approach that we've taken to the market. Yeah, and, and again, comparing the numbers, you have by far the fastest growth apart from, <laughs> well, apart from a, a competitor that has a, has a great advantage. <laughs> no, uh, shout out to Supersonic. Uh, Supersonic is actually the, uh, the fastest growing. You're, 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 you know, steps behind, not, not even that many, two, 281 to 256. So these two studios are the fastest growing hyper casual game studios. Uh, rocketing towards the top because the top players have been grown by like 17% and some of them have even gone down by, by, you know, single digits. So you guys are growing triple digits at the same time as the, uh, the top is, is stagnating or even uh, declining. So it's just a matter of time uh, for the, uh, for the guard to change. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit and talk about the hyper casual market. So I've been wrong in this in many ways, and I just want to understand why am I getting this so wrong? So a uh, few uh, last year, I think yeah, towards the end of the year, we kind of reviewed the hyper casual market. It was it was pretty much a year ago, and there was kind of three, four things that we're seeing why we would predict that the market would start declining. And the reasons were like even though there was increase of the downloads, when you look at the absolute numbers, there was a deceleration of the year to year growth speed. So that was kind of saying like, well, we're getting to mature place. The second thing was the fact of the red ocean. So simply put, the players of hyper-casual games were simply switching from one short-lived game to another, causing the money to just change hands largely between the hyper-casual publishers and the mediation platform, uh, which kind of were the real winners of, of this type of exchange. The hyper-competition was, was also led by the fact that the players are not loyal because the games are uh, quite short-lived, most of them. Um, the, the ability to create unique gameplay became harder and harder because it's so easy to follow somebody else. Like now we're seeing some lawsuits. I think Rolex sued Voodoo just last week or, some, uh, or something like that, but these have been happening. Voodoo, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it was the other way around. Oh, Voodoo, Voodoo. sued Rolex? Right, yeah. 
Oh, they may be like, oh, no, now you guys have some money to pay. So, so let's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, any, anyway, so uh, there was, um, there were more and more of these publishers coming in and, you know, that gives the developers of these hyper casual games. So a lot of the publishers use a lot of other, like you guys make games internally, but a lot of them just publish others. And now there's a competition in terms of uh, insourcing or outsourcing this, this, this work. Uh, you know, the, it's just, and, and then finally there was this couple of more things, the IPM trends. So we saw the flattening of IPM trends, which would lead to increase of CPI. Uh, basically players are seeing so many cool things that, that it's not any, any more affecting the same way. And the, and the big case we made was around Voodoo and their sort of a fall from grace because what, what we saw is they were losing in their market space, just like ketchup was losing at one point. And, and that felt that, that uh, these say games and good games were taking over. But what happened, we were absolutely wrong. So the market kept growing. So after Q3, there was a decline in Q4 of 2019 by 3%. And Voodoo was, was actually the one that declined significantly. And then in Q1, it's like Voodoo read our article and jumped up by, by like 30% of, of installs. And, and the market grew in Q1 by 28%. And since then, it's kind of stabilized, but it's still growing by single digits. So where, where am I getting this wrong? It's like, a, it's, it's like red ocean, um, no, no ability really to, to kind of have long lifetime values. Um, what, what's going on? I think, yeah, I think the, it's, you know, it, it, it is correct to say, I think that, you know, the, the gold rush, you know, is, is kind of coming to an end where like the, the types of, it's it's hard to say because when you you know how we how do we classify like hyper casual as a game type or as a game category right it's 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 such a weird phrase um, it's a, such a weird term to call to call the the games really and and so the the original like hyper casual games you know back in the day you know that we used to make those don't really exist anymore um, and so a lot of the what we're calling hyper casual now. Uh, that's flourished to the top and that's performing well. These are superior products, you know, higher LTV products um, that are winning because the, the the marketers behind those games are able to push them uh, to the top and 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 fuel them with 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 user acquisition spend, and um, and because the products can command command that with a higher LTV capacity, um, and so I think that the the genre is evolving, and so kind of you, you you're not wrong in, in the sense that those some of those games are, are aren't able to compete anymore. But the the underlying thing is that the ad ad revenue and uh, will, will, I think will always be here, right? It's always going to grow. It's it's you know uh, hundreds of of billions of dollars in ad revenue is being spent in mobile, and how much of that can we capture in games? Um, and so I think as, as long as that ad, ad, as long as that revenue is coming into mobile games, that the, these ad based games will never cease to exist. Um, however, I think we're seeing like the, the, the monetization mix is changing, right? Like now there's way more IAP in, in, uh, hyper casual games, which, which was not, uh, the case before. Um, we're seeing alternative monetization approaches, uh, new types of ad formats, new types of games. Um, and I think because of this, it's, uh, you know, this, this, this will never kind of go away as long as that, that ad revenue is there. These games kind of will always, in my opinion, they'll always exist. Um, it's just how we classify them, how do we categorize them. Uh, those things may come and go, like certain genres may may go because they maybe they just won't be able to keep up uh with 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 the market but the underlying ad revenue and games i think will always be there mm, got it so so when i when i would look like a playbook for a hyper casual like let's just use that term for a hyper casual developer like voodoo uh, back in 2018 it would have been kind of five things so number one would be to just use only tried and tested game design aka inspired by somebody else and and the game would be snackable meaning you can just play it for a super short session it has to be watchable 
because most of them are acquired through video ads or, or playable ads. Uh, it has to be straightforward. So you don't have time to make any kind of fatui or tutorials or teach players how to do it. Just tap your finger. And the, the, the other part will be like, it has to be a little bit fresh. Like you have to, you have to be separate from the pack. So that's, that's one. Then the second part, which, uh, which was shipping fast, which you just described how, how fast you make games. I think that's still a key part of hyper casual games. Number three was growing game on a dime, meaning that, well, yeah, of course. So IPM gets high, CPI is low, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the whole idea. Um, right. The four and five were or so points that you have to build a close-knit relationship with an ad network. I think that is something that, <laughs> that somewhat became too close to an ad network where, <laughs> they, where they decided to do a little bit of vertical integration. And the, the fifth one, segmenting and scaling. So basically um, making a point that a big publisher or a publisher with hundreds of millions of installs understands who their sort of a best players are, who are the most engaged ones, and they're able to kind of follow them and, and, and really cross promote them inside their own network to, to different games. So to, to summarize, use only tried and tested game design, ship fast, grow games on a dime, build close-knit relationship with an ad network, segment and scale. How much has this playbook changed since 2018? I think, I think it, it's starting to change um, a little bit. Uh, it, and the un, I think the underlying things of, of us you know, snackable content, watchable, straightforward, fresh. I think those those are really good values. I think that that, that Voodoo has, and 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 they, you know, you know, hats, you know, off to them for for working with their developers on 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 you know solid principles like like these with with, with in terms of game design. I think those you know that kind of will never change. Um, the <laughs> The close relationship with ad networks, <laughs> I think that's that's not going to change, right? I mean, like, essentially, we're looking at a bunch of performance marketing companies that that are making games, uh, you know, and 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 so sure, yeah, they need a really strong relationship with 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 the ad network, um, and you know, and 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 not, and and I think that the thing to elaborate here is ad networks. So, like, not just one or two networks, but we're seeing we're seeing big players working with 30, 40, 50 different partners, uh, which, and, and, and the number keeps going up and up. So I think this, this is, a uh, uh, this is really, really interesting because we're seeing more uh, publishers work with more and more ad networks. Um, so not just a close relationship, but a broad and vast relationship with many ad networks, I think is, is important, um, for, especially for scale, uh, and, Shipping fast um, is 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 important, uh, but 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 at the same time, um, you you want to make sure that the that you you might not ship too fast because again, the, now we're looking at games that that have higher LTV capacity, and so the longer obviously the more time you have to work on a game to increase that to, to improve arc DAO to improve retention. Um, you know, if you have time on your hands and you're, you're making the right product decisions, uh, you may be increasing that. And so, you know, you're, you're, you pushing back your launch date a week uh, may have a strong, really strong impact on the game. Whereas before, when, when these games didn't have s such a high, you know, LTV capacity, it was all about speed, right? Speed was really, 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 really important. And now I think that is becoming it's still important because it's it's becoming less a priority as as these games start to become bigger and and um, expand in terms of their their you know the product portfolio and, and breadth within within the games themselves, um, and uh, segmentation. I think uh, with in terms of the the audience of of who you're you're, you're reaching. Um, maybe not not so important uh, because of you know these games are such such so broad um, when in, in terms of when we're marketing them uh, segmentation inside of the game I think is becoming more and more important um, especially as we start to work with 
different partners and um, as we start to identify valuable users within the portfolio uh, because you know these these as you've kind of pointed out um, the, the loyalty scale of, of these games is a lot less than than others and so a lot of publishers uh, look at this more from a portfolio approach where they're looking at a, at a player across multiple games instead of just one game. And so understand being able to segment and understand your user base is, is important in that regard. What are, what are the sort of, so, so regarding that, a couple of questions. So do you do live ops for, for these games? Because what I've heard mostly is that hyper-casual developers don't really do any updates. It's like, it takes more time to do an update rather than do a new game. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that's... That's yeah. I mean, that's kind of the you know that's something that you a lot a lot of developers have to ask themselves is like should should we put in you know another two three week sprints into improving this game, or because during that same amount of time you can make a new game, and so it's 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 a valid question for a lot of developers is should they should they build a new game or should they continue to improve the game that they have. Um, and I think as the the market gets more competitive, right, prices start to increase. The you you need to increase the LTV capacity of your game. That question might in the in the future might continue to lean towards improving existing games. Uh, whereas it, in in the past, we might launch you know three or four versions of the same kind of game. Um, and I don't know if we'll do the same thing in. You know, next year. I don't know if that that same strategy will apply next year, because it is getting so competitive that we do need a kind of a, a game that we can push. Uh, we need to, that has a higher LTV, so we can push it more, um, because of the C, because of our CPIs won't be competitive in the market. Uh, you know, with with if the LTV is lower. Got it. So so apart from looking at the uh, the CPIs and the the IPM, of course. Uh, what are the sort of game metrics that you guys look at when when you put the uh, sort of first version of the game out? Is it day one? Is it day three? Is it is it the uh, the correlation between day one day three? Like what is what 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 are the numbers that you look, like they have to be pretty outrageous, right? Right. Well, I mean, I've heard you know some pretty smart people say the correlation between day one and day three is 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 really important, um, <laughs> and you know I think <laughs> I think that's. I think that's obviously an important metric to look at. Um, you know, for, for for us, we we really think about a break-even point. Um, so we kind of um, it for me, it's it's easier to look at one number than to look at a bunch of different numbers. And so I I really that's why I really like break-even because um, understanding how many days I break even and, and just targeting that as 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 a KPI. Um, has been really helpful for me as a startup uh, because I'm constantly looking at cash flow. You know, every day I'm looking at the bank account, uh, making making sure that we still have money, right, and that the money's growing. Um, I thought in a positive so it, way. Yeah, yeah, in a in a positive way. We <laughs> we have enough, you know, to, to 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 pay to pay our partners, and so the 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 break even point is is really important. Um, I think as we as we become bigger and and as cash flow starts to become less of a less of a concern, um, then then we might look at other KPIs. But for for us as like a ten or twelve person team uh, in Vietnam, like trying to scale as quickly as fast as possible, the the break even uh, point is is really important for us. Okay, that makes sense. So so Rojas basically. Yeah yeah Rojas uh, and. Um, you know, how fast are we breaking even on spend? Is it seven days? Is it 14 days? Is it 28 days? Uh, that's, that's really awesome because you're not really looking at, you're just looking at the business side of things. You know, it's not about this day one retention is below 55. It's not good enough. It's more like, you know, if it makes money, it makes sense. Right. And yeah, at a, at a very high level, right. And, and at, at, on the game in the in the game level, we're constantly iterating too. So, for example, that's that's my metric as a marketer, right? I'm looking at I'm looking at um, break even point. But our our level designer, he's looking at uh, drop rates, right? He's looking at retention. He's looking at drop rates, and he has 
uh, a different KPI that he looks at. Our, um, our developers are looking at different things, are looking at crashes and, and exceptions um, and the percentage of, of those within the game. And so every kind of person in our organization has their own KPI that they, that they strive towards improving. Um, and uh, mine is, is break even, uh, but it, it's not the same for every, for the whole company or for, you know, different people on the team that are focused on different aspects of the game. Of, of course, of course, uh, sort of like a GM perspective. So um, right. can you talk about the effects of the COVID? Because uh, my assumption, like if I would have just theor, like if, if I would have had a theory about uh, the effect of COVID on different gaming sectors, I would have I would have assumed that these more hardcore games with longer sessions uh, with, with deep social gameplays would have been the true winners. But in fact, when I started looking at the numbers, the true winners <laughs> hyper casual and casino. Like people are like, oh, I'm locked at home. I need to spin this casino, to spin the shit out of it and, and be a winner while I'm here at home. Like <laughs> it was it was really surprising. And, and these more of a core games like RPGs and strategies were actually declining. Uh, a little bit during during the COVID. So, uh, what are the what have been the effects on hyper casual? Yeah, no, I mean we we saw it was we saw a lot of uh, I think we we I think it was a positive impact for for hyper casual. Um, we we saw a lot of growth during this time. Uh, we it was a little bit harder on the content side, so we would get. Um, you know, obviously the con- the content that we release uh, is 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 uh, highly sc- looked at from the platforms, and so uh, during this time there were you know if there was something that maybe resembled uh, I remember one time we we had to a game got rejected because it had toilet paper in the game, and and so you do you remember the 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 to- toilet the big toilet paper craze right yeah. and so uh, you had to be careful about the content then we, we put it obviously we want to be respectful of, of the platforms and their, and their wishes um and so we, we took that out but um i think that was like really the only the only thing that the, the on the on the negative side it uh for, for us it was uh it was a pretty good we we uh time in the in the marketplace obviously not a good time for the world can I, can I tell you how good it was for you compared to everybody else? Yeah. <laughs> Your sure, business yeah. doubled in, in Q1. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> you were the biggest growing uh, company in Q1. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, uh, apart from, the, the... well, yeah, Supersonic, actually, you, 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 I think you, no, Supersonic was the number one. But we don't count Supersonic. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> Nadav Ashkenazi is just running that like, <laughs> like, a, like a jet plane. But you were the second right, biggest. Right. So, so you, your business actually, well, your installs doubled. Uh, they were up by ninety six percent to the previous quarter in Q one. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's. I mean. That's awesome. And we'll we'll take it. I mean, we don't have a giant ad network behind us fueling our growth. But yeah, that's that's great. And hats off to the Supersonic team. I think you know they're doing a great job. So, so that's good. But yeah, it, it it's it was a good time. I think for for uh, hyper casual but uh that's awesome that we grew that much i didn't know that <laughs> thanks for thanks for telling me <laughs> yeah um so um so okay so one thing that you were talking about um okay so the covid thing is one but the second thing that is i'm really interested in about is idfa idfv and mna circus around that so you know the burn came came out in, in pocket gamer talking about the rolex acquisition um that they've been analyzing hyper casual and it's evolving and it, and they, and Zynga thinks it has a very strong future. Um, and um, they think that the, uh, the mass audience for hyper casual games will be less, sorry, impacted by the changes arising from IDFA. So basically saying, uh, if I understand this correctly, what, what Kim was saying is that there's less targeting because these games are for everybody. So this sort of a whale hunting does not affect hyper casual business and the business will will keep keep on keeping and um and that was the reason for m a so so what are your thoughts on on this whole idfa idfv and the m a circuit around it yeah so on the on i think on the on the idfa i think that what what kim said was was correct i mean it's 
hyper the hyper casual genre the category you know for any any advertiser that's targeting broad is going to be less affected by by this right and the i would i would say furthermore what's interesting is on the monetization side i haven't heard a lot of people talk about this yet but it it also shields and protects those portfolios from from targeting competitors, right? So let's say like, I don't know, uh, the, you know, we have competitors and a lot of competitors in the space and they're trying to target our certain users um, and, and sending them, you know, high CTR ads, which is a big problem right now. Uh, that, that, that is gonna be harder and harder to do, I think with what, because of, and it's a good thing because of the improved privacy. Um, and so I think it's, it, the, it benefits hyper casual in, in a couple of ways. Um, in terms of, of, of M&A, I think it could be really, really interesting for buyers uh, to, to, to capitalize on this because you can start to build these audiences at the, at the portfolio level. Um, you know, looking at indicators and uh, within the portfolio of, you know, the types of games that they play or the actions that they take within the game um, and building audiences, you know, with uh, uh, IDFE and um, maybe IP address or, or other, uh, other indicators. Um, so I think from an M&A perspective, it, it presents really, really interesting opportunities for those that are affected by by iOS 14, um, and yeah. So you know, looking forward to seeing more more of these acquisitions in the market. No, of course, <laughs> but uh, but let's let's <laughs> yeah. With with Rolling getting acquired by I don't remember even how much it was like two years after it started. Uh, but but let's 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 get a little bit more granular on that. So um, if let's let's say I'm developing casual games. Um, you know, whatever casual game developer game, um, not game jam, game jam with you. Let's say Jam City. That sounds like <laughs> Jam City, game jam. I'm just throwing out there. Anyway, so let's, I'm, I'm Jam City, and um, and I'm just doing a hypothetical M&A scenario. So I'm like, what would be a good portfolio like Game Jam? That sounds really close to what we're about. Um, so what would be the effect of, of acquiring this portfolio of like you guys are getting like 130 million installs every month and growing, growing double, triple digits every, every quarter. Um, how can I, in, in, the, in the era of post IDFA, uh, what is the effect of, of that portfolio of, of getting that massive of a user base? Like how can I, how can I be efficient in growing the rest of my uh, high LTV portfolio? Right. No, great. That's a great question. Um, so I think a couple of benefits. One is you have uh, market visibility because you you have a, a, a publishing arm or a, a, an arm that has lots and lots of downloads. So other developers are going to see this, you know, and look at it as an indicator of success, right? That you that you're doing well in the market. Now, from 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 there, once you are getting those downloads and uh, you have players inside the game. If you're able to figure out the the kind of LTV accretion approach of taking that user uh, into a journey of from one game to the next, which which we're really good at within with hyper casual and, and cross promotion, um, and figuring out how to cross promote the, those users into back uh, uh, into higher or uh, higher LTV products, um, that could be a fantastic. Uh, a model for improving uh, EBITDA at the at the corporate level, um, and for gaining more loyal users uh, through a multiple uh, game approach as opposed to just one game. Um, and so I think those the the combination of the two things of of having that visibility and then being able to take that user and and and, and over their lifetime improve that LTV could be really really interesting. Um, and then not only that too, but you know, the, in my opinion, the, the whole methodology of, of hyper casual is just so fascinating. I mean, yeah. building a game in a week, uh, going through rapid iteration, uh, working with dozens and dozens of ad networks, um, where, you know, like, uh, on the, both on the monetization side and on the user acquisition side, um, all the 
the the machine learning and everything involved into building that uh, and scaling that is is kind of fascinating to me uh, that you know we can do that with with very a very very small team, highly effective, highly f- f- efficient team. And so if if we can scale like like this, like just imagine if we were able to partner with with others and help them scale as well. Um, and so I, I think that that is to me the a really really interesting thing that the the way we make games, the, the approach to it, testing, um, it can be almost applied to everything that we do. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think uh, Crazy Lab has been one of the companies that has almost shifted from from sort of casual games to hyper casual games, and and doing really great. And they were talking a lot how it sort of a cleanses the palate. <laughs> that was the, that was the term they used, but but kind of going through this more traditional one game a year approach to just banging it out, just putting stuff out. And they've been on on a tremendous growth. Um, okay, so. What what would you say about about the uh, the thing? So what I've seen from from UA side, uh, especially you know with with casual games, is that the traffic coming in from hyper casual games has been uh, among the worst you can get for your game. Um, like how do you how do you tackle that big of a problem? Because most of the uh, hyper casual users are being cross promoted from one hyper casual game to another. Uh, at least that was before. But as you said. A lot of these games, like I, you know, I got I follow Supersonic on Instagram. They're they're posting always new games, and they're never they're they're getting like <laughs> there's like shooting and and like sword fights and that kind of stuff. So they're getting towards towards like something that I would actually play. <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> if that changed. Yeah, you mean the quality the quality of the users that that are that in the game? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think so, it's interesting. There's like because the. It's very similar to when, you know, one of the things that we at Dots, one of the things that we noticed was we have a, you know, you know, high quality game, right? That puzzle game. And when that game, we would, we got it to number one in a hundred countries. Um, and so, sometimes we would, we would, we would pick countries on a weekend to go get it, the game to number one in. And um, at, the, at this time, the, the the app store looked different. It was yeah. the the top charts were the first thing you saw when you opened up the app store, and um, the quality of the users that you would get when you would chart when you would get to number one would change totally change um, because you're you're getting tourists, you're getting people coming in, you know, look you lose, they want to check out the game and then they 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 leave, and uh, that. It, this is, I think, just a natural thing of, of, of something that's broader reaching, right? You know, you're, you can't expect if you have a very, very broad reaching game to have the, the highest quality user, you know, for every user, right? Because it's just the nature of the business. And so I think it's, it's a really interesting thing. And it's maybe a downside that of, of, of having a broader reacher game is that overall, on average, your quality is going to drop. Um, but at the same time, there are still players in there that are highly, highly valuable if you can figure out how to unlock them. Got it. Got it. And I think, um, yeah, I'm just thinking about the play ricks ads that are more the, the playable ads where you're always like saving somebody or there's like the, uh, you know, the, we pull the lever and something happens, right. They put those right. playable ads into the game and that, that feels almost like a hyper casual game. <laughs> so, right. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Also, the icons are changing too. You're seeing a lot of those icons and yes. in, uh, with the pull the pin and yeah. Um, what happened to your shower game? Uh, I don't know. If, like, was that a game? Because you sent me the ad of the, the shower, the soap, and the shower game. The, 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 uh, that was a prototype. Yeah, no, we oh we God. decided not to launch that game. Yeah, we. But it was uh, yeah, that was a good one. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> you, weren't so, you weren't supposed to talk you weren't supposed to talk about that but oh it's yeah, okay. yeah. It's, it's the secret weapon it's, secret, it's, it's like secret. it's when you need it you're gonna drop the soap <laughs> right 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 um right. So, so yeah so christian says to me once in a while these uh these test ads uh just for creative optimization and i i tend to like to comment on them how to make them more outrageous <laughs> um, <laughs> um okay so so let's talk about uh, another thing, and that is what I what we called hybrid casual, and basically, you know, Archero yeah. and Happy has been the poster boy of it. And you were talking about how the hyper casual games, like you've mastered acquiring users on a dime, you've mastered getting ma- massive scales, you've mastered how to make games fast. 
but the kind of an issue is the CPIs are going up. Uh, the competition is really, really harsh. There's, there's some companies on PEDs and, and th- nothing wrong against PEDs. Listen, every top athlete uses them. So, so kudos for winning, but anyways, so, so, so the competition is, is rough. And, um, and one of the, one of the sort of, a, you know, you're looking to, to increase your LTV. So what we've been seeing in the market is Habby and, and similar type of games. I, I kind of forgot what was the other uh, one from Byte Dance. But anyways, uh, these games scale like a hyper-casual game. They actually look like a hyper-casual game. Nevertheless, they retain like an arcade game. So a little bit better than a week, a little bit further. They monetize both through in-app purchases and ads. And you've, you've been saying that, uh, that in-app purchases are coming in in various forms to hyper-casual games. So what's your take on this sort of uh, what we called uh, a hybrid casual approach? And what I mean is like, not, not what your take on like, yeah, it looks like a good business, but more like, um, is this some, something that um, hyper casual publishers are looking at? And um, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like, absolutely. What, what, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's so interesting. I mean, it's awesome that, uh, that we're seeing this now, I think it's better for it's better for the ecosystem, better for the games, uh, also better for the the, the developer uh, to build more defensible products. But I, I think yeah, it's it's definitely the the future. I think that we're going to see more of these hybrid casual games um, utilizing both ads and IAP uh, to 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 increase lifetime value. Um, and not just with, you know, RPG, but we could see it with, you know, simulation. We could see it. We're seeing it with music right now. We're, we're, we can, we're seeing it with other categories. And I think we'll, we'll continue to see these kind of hybrid casual games um, uh, in winning each, each category that they're in. Uh, I, I, th- I definitely think this is the, the future. Well, what do you, so who do you think is, is so, okay, let me, let me take a step back. Um, seeing a lot of a lot of pitches and, and being in this sort of a startup circuit, um, there's a lot of, of companies doing their own version of, of Arch Hero. And the, the, the one thing that is in common for those companies is that the founders are have never made hyper casual games before. Uh, they just see this as, oh, it's an RPG that is easier to make and it's pretty fun. Let's make a, a, an Arch Hero with a twist. But what I'm looking at at our chair, I'm like, oh, this is hyper casual game. Like you have to have all the expertise in hyper casual, not the RPG to make this type of a game. And what I'm trying to say is like, in order to be good at hyper casual, in my opinion, you have to be good at making hyper casual games, not making other type of games. Because what ends up happening is you're just polishing this game forever and then it comes out and looks like our, like Supercell made an Archero, basically. That's That's what I'm seeing. Right. I think, I think that's, I think that's the right, I think that's the right approach. The, the fundamental issue, I think, with going the other way is that, you know, you, the feedback, the feedback loop isn't there, right? Like with the, every hyper casual person is so addicted to the feedback loop. They, they, they want to fail. They want, they want to shelve the game if it doesn't work. They want to try something new if it doesn't work. They always want to move on to the next thing if it doesn't work. And so I think that just that mindset is so important and that approach in, in, into developing the, the game. And, you know, you're coming from it from, from, from the other side. Um, you know, these studios are used to investing millions of dollars into a new game idea and, and sinking, you know, months to years into the development time. And, uh, and, and, and without, without a feedback loop. And so I, I think that's a big problem. Um, and so I, I do think that the, if you come to it from the hyper casual side, that you do have an advantage. I think the biggest, the, the biggest winner here that, that's been able to do this really well, I think is Graham games. I mean, mm-hmm. they started as, as a hyper casual studio and moved on to more mid core games and they did a fantastic job at it. Uh, and a lot of people were trying to, uh, to, to make moves like this. Um, they, they were able to do it in a really, really good way and strong way. And I think it's because they had that foundation. They, they had that discipline um, uh, to, to build fast and fail fast. 
That's that's true. That's true. We should have somebody from Graham Games. So shout out to Graham Games. I've 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 talked to to the folks there. Uh, if if somebody wants to come in and, and talk about your studio structure, but yes, what I remember from the discussion is like they do a lot of prototyping internally. Still, we're doing at least a year or two ago a lot of hyper casual games just as a game jam. Um, uh huh. This <laughs> is like you know game jams <laughs> of of just making a game in a in a week and then putting it out and those game jams were actually profitable. Uh, so, so they were having fun with that, but also one thing that I, that I kind of heard from, from some ex ground people is that because they made so many iterations of these merge games that when they saw merge dragons, which they acquired, uh, they understood why it was good and how to grow it and how to truly, truly operate it. But, but that's okay. So I understand, I understand that the, the approach of from, from a, from a typical game developer going into hybrid casual, they need to get faster to the iteration loop and be good at it. But what if, let's say, let's say Christian, after this, after this talk, you go into your team and you'd be like, guys, drop the pen, drop, drop everything. We're going hybrid casual. <laughs> what we're going you, hybrid. We're going, we're going hybrid. <laughs> so, so what is a, what is a, what is a hybrid? Uh, what is a, what does a hyper casual developer need to do in order to be good at, at hybrid casual games? Because Habby has been, you know, they've been growing, they've been doing updates. They've been, they've been, increasing the uh, the depth of the game and so forth they, they most likely have live ops they have analytics they you know like wh what would you have to do if you would choose this route or some some other hyper casual studio yeah so i think the um the one thing that changes is essentially the the project planning and the the production cycle um execution still the same right you're still executing every week uh getting feedback every week um, the, the only difference is, is you're looking at kind of a more of a, uh, of a games as a service model, a long-term approach and more taking more of a Zynga PM approach on the game, looking at, okay, what features are we going to build? Uh, how is this feature going to affect what KPI and kind of what are we expecting from that in, in a weekly sprint format where you're getting that feedback, um, and I think that that kind of that's what changes is that you you've gone from a studio that's, you know, looking to build games in a few weeks, um, maybe making some polishing touches and then quickly moving on to the next one uh, as uh, to uh, working on a game and just continuing to work on that. Um, it might be hard for some developers because, you know, a lot of developers, they, 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 they build their game, they work on it for a few weeks and then they get kind of bored. They want to work on the next shiny thing. Um, and so that's, that could be hard for some developers that are in hyper casual because there's, they're just so used to working on the new game, the new game, the next one. Um, and so that's, that's the, that's the change is that you're, instead of working on the next one, you're working on the same game and you're taking a different, uh, games as a service approach Zynga kind of PM approach to uh, further productizing the game and improving those KPIs. Could you do both type of games in the same studio or is it too different of a culture? It's not a different culture. Uh, it's kind of the same fundamental execution process of like, you know, weekly feedback loops, right? Of, of, of iterating and, and, and putting in a new feature, planning it, putting it in and, mm -hmm. and, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely not a, not a different culture. Um, I think, yeah, you could definitely have the same studio work on multiple, uh, two types of games at the same time. All right. That's okay. So we're waiting for Game Jam's hybrid casual hits. Then. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, right. this is awesome. We, we covered, we covered everything you, you, yeah, you wealth of information on, on all kinds of stuff. So what's, what's new, what's coming out from, from Game Jam? What, what do you, what do people have to be looking at? especially since your triple digit growth every quarter, like what's, what's going to drive uh, game jam further. Yeah. So we have some really exciting announcements. Um, obviously we're going to continue to, to release new hit games uh, every month. Uh, that's, that's not going to change. Um, the, I think the big announcement for us this year will be uh, the release of the gamejam.com platform. And, uh, this will be coming out soon, where uh, essentially next week, uh, where developers will be able to log into GameJam.com and host Game Jams uh, and participate in Game Jams and submit those games uh, to the Game Jam or even to publishers. 
um, through all through GameJam.com. So that's going to be coming next week. We're really excited to launch it. Um, it's it's something we've been working on for a long time. Um, and then the, the next there's a there's a other phases uh, and other improvements that we're making to the GameJam.com website over the course of the next. You know, this this year and early next year that we're really excited about, but this is uh, the first big one that's coming out soon. So the raw blocks of hyper casual games. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, serious, that's right. Yeah, that's that's good. Love it. So most likely this is going to be live or or going or, or yeah, most likely this is going to be live when we put this episode live. So people should go to gamejam.com, right? That's right, gamejam.com. Awesome. Right. And if you want to connect with Christian, then it's LinkedIn. We'll put in. We'll yeah, put LinkedIn. In, yeah, I'll put in in, in the uh, the show notes. Um, and if you're in in um, in Ho Chi Minh City, let him take you out. COVID is not an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Just wear your mask. We get some. And we get some fun. Yeah, yeah get some right. bow and get some get get a little bit silly out there. Um, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, it was it was a pleasure as always, and. Um, Come back on when when game when when the uh, the raw blocks of hyper casual and hybrid casual games is is rocking and rolling. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This has been great. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Catch the next episode. Bye.